You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over king. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Welcome to House of Cards Radio. This is Ashley Adams, your host for tonight. We have a great show coming up. We're going to start off with Antonio the Magician Esfandiari, and uh, we're going to talk about what he's been doing lately. He is the new face of the World Poker Tour Made Millionaire. Then we have Mike Rome, who is a writer and has written some very interesting short stories that have to do with poker. But before we do any of that, we're going to take a commercial break, and then we will be back with Antonio the Magician. Hey, House of Cards radio listeners, we've got a special offer for you. Go to adamandeve.com and get 50% off just about any one of their items. All you have to do is type POKER, that's P-O-K-E-R, when you check out in the coupon space by the checkout box. In addition, with your order of $17 or more, they'll throw in a free gift. You can't beat that. Get 50% off with their offer code POKER at adamandeve.com, and you'll also get an additional discount, a free gift, if you have an order of $17 or more. adamandeve.com features over 18,000 adult entertainment products. They have 10 million customers who swear by their product quality, fast and discreet shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee. That's adamandeve.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Poker. 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 I shall give it to you in a word. Poker. Welcome back. This is Ashley Adams, and I have uh, Antonio Esfandiari on the line. Antonio, are you there? Ashley, I am here, ready, locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. That's what I like to hear. Um, for, I wish we could gamble through the line somehow. I, I, I have an itch to bet on something. Well, tell me. I, I, let's talk right about that. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about the World Poker Tour, but first, let's talk about something you were telling me off the air, which is that you have a TV show that, in fact, involves bizarre prop bets. This is something I don't know anything about. Tell our listeners about it. I think we have about 13 viewers in America, so every year we gain another couple. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> the show is called I Bet You, and literally that's what it is. It's Phil Locke and myself. Uh, for those of you that know Phil Locke, he's a Unabomber, and he's a very well-known poker player. Also one of my best friends. And we just literally drift around different cities betting on anything and everything. Um, if you go to MojoHD.com, you can actually watch one of the episodes. MojoHD.com. We'll put that on our site. Tell me about some of the bets. We, I mean, we we range from you know a girl walking by, what kind of underwear does she have, um, to who 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 is uh, who has better sperm. We actually went to the doctor and got her sperm tested on different categories. Whose uh, sperm is life. more mobile? <clears throat> Whose sperm um, is exactly. more mobile? Um, I can't give you the results because that show, season two, doesn't premiere until next month on the Mojo Network. So <laughs> I'm just laughing um, at that as a prop bet. How much, without telling us the outcome, Antonio, although I know who I would bet on, um, what, <laughs> how, how much was wagered? Uh, on the sperm, we bet 5000 <laughs> We had five good. different categories, right? How fast they swim, their overnight shelf life, total volume. <laughs> Um, some motility thing, and then one other category. And so one of us had to win because it was going to be three out of the five. Things. I hope the other category wasn't taste. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Good. That's good. But the whole thing is, is pretty funny when you're watching it, the interaction with the doctor and us going into our own little rooms with our cups and, you know, like ordering, you know, movies and whatever. It's Absolutely. Family insane. TV. Exactly. That's, that's right. And we've had other bets, many, many other bets. Uh, you know, who's who's a better bartender? Who's a better dancer? Who's a, who's a better ballerina? We went to the ballerina school in San Francisco and, and learned ballet and had a couple of judges afterwards. 
things like that. That's terrific. Well, if you ever come to the Boston area and want a third person, or if uh, one of you can't make it and you want to have somebody participate, I would love to do that. Sure. We've had some guest speakers on our uh, on our show. We had Howard Letter and Eli Lazer up, and we came up with seven political questions, and we made a bet on how many uh, girl that you know the girl that answers the hot sex like the one if you call one nine hundred whatever whatever and yeah, they the sex line yes right we made a bet on who could get closer to the number of answers that the sex hotline girl would answer correctly and so <laughs> I called I made the call and I had to sit there and act like political questions you know give me turn me on. And so I'm sitting there going with the full, like, you know, who is the, you know, first president? And I'm, like, getting excited over it. And the whole bit is pretty funny. Howard Letterer, like, fell off his chair. <laughs> well, that's hard to do. He's hard, hard to get to a reaction. Do. I mean, we had Howard uncontrollably laughing. <laughs> I will definitely have to check out the show. Uh, how many episodes are you looking to do in this series? We did eight season one. They ordered season two. We filmed another 13. And now... We are in negotiations for season three. They, they want to do it, and Phil and I want to do it, and so we're going to start filming that in about five, six months. It's, it's, um, it's two days to make one episode, but you know, you got to get to the day before, and it's tedious. It's a lot of work, believe it or not. Filming is, is not easy, so it takes a lot out of our schedule, but in the end, you have digital foreverness, so we definitely want to do season three. I, I can't wait. In fact, I'm going to have to see how I can get access to the Mojo Network. I have... Um, I have Direct TV satellite. Are you on the satellite? They're not on the satellite. They're on uh, cable. Cable. Cable, and you have HD package or whatever. You should have the Mojo Network. It's a high-definition network. And I can access at least an episode or two by going on to the Internet at mojohd.com. Is that right? And also, if you search for I Bet You and plug in my name or Phil's name on Google, I mean on YouTube, uh, you can pretty much watch every episode from season one in in like in little like eight minute clips. Oh, that's great! This sounds the like the dancing a great one show. is really funny because Phil and I are both terrible dancers, <laughs> and we got dancing instructors and, and made a bet on who's a better dancer. So that one's pretty good. Great! I can't wait to check that out. Um, I had a number of other questions for you um, because sure. I I have known you uh, for quite a while since you really entered the poker scene, and we did a charity event together. I was talking to you about that off the air. Yeah, for multiple sclerosis. For That's right. For MS, a guy named Jason DeLoyer, who put together this yep. wonderful event. Awesome. In, <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't even way. know. That's right. He is, he's is. he been doing this now for five or six years. He's going to go over the 150000 mark for money raised. It was all for his mother-in-law, who has MS, I believe. And he put together this great charity event in Port Chester, New York, of all places. you remember the event? I certainly do. I flew in just for the day. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that uh, somebody came up to you or something during the tournament and challenged well, you to one something. Of the, one of the people that, I mean, there was no side games, you know, there was no real action there, obviously. And um, afterwards, one of the guys wanted to play me, and he wanted to play for like 100 bucks, I think. And I said, it's got to be at least 500 if I'm going to play you heads up. <laughs> and so he gathered up 500 bucks, and he sat down, and I ended up busting him. And um, Good. that was beautiful. That was beautiful. I, you know, I like those charity events. I run them, small charity events in Massachusetts. And uh, what's funny is I'll come in and I'm the host and I'm the uh, celebrity poker player and I'll run the tournament and wear a tuxedo. It's interesting, especially at the events that have drinking, that some of the guys who really don't know how to play, they, it must be an ego thing because I've had them challenge me as well. It happened when I was right. down they in... Wanna- the guy who's you know whose eyes are all on i mean you're the guy you're representing the charity you're the main figurehead there's something about beating that person heads up you that's know? right that's right i imagine that's how the top name poker players in the world in the old days before there was so much action how they made a living is that they would go into a town they play in the high stakes game in that town and people would deliberately try to take them down and that w- they would get action because they were the name player Right. Back in right. the old days. Um, it's so funny. Just two days ago, we were at the Ivy Hotel in San Diego, which, by the way, is my favorite hotel in the world. And some kid recognizes Phil and comes over and says, will you please play me for 100? You know, heads up. You know, that's all I have. And Phil goes, uh, no, sir, I can't do that. I don't mean to be rude, but it's got to be at least 1000 So the kid disappears. An hour later, he comes back. He had gone and raised $1,000. <laughs> Ten of his friends. 
his friends had 10% of them. He comes back with a set of chips. He sits down. We're on the roof of the hotel. He plays them a match. Eight hands later, I had Phil's, half of Phil's action, of course. Eight hands later, he busts the poor kid. And the kid has to call his friends and tell them that he lost a thousand bucks. It was pretty funny. Yeah, but you know, for the kid and for his friends, it's worth $100 just to have that story. That's I guess right. so. I mean, I, if anytime somebody wants to lose money, uh, to me, just to tell their friends, I'm all, I'm all about it. Come find me. My door is open. There you go. They, now let's talk a little bit about the, the role that you're playing now. It looks, you know, from reading the press release that they have about you, it looks like you're incredibly busy doing a dozen different things for the World Poker Tour. What does it mean to be the face of the World Poker Tour Made Millionaire, and what have you done in that regard? Well, there's quite a quite a big people that have made over a million dollars playing on the World Poker Tour, and so they basically wanted somebody to um, represent that circle of people. And um, you know, Daniel and Phil were taken, and so they came. No, I'm just kidding. I had a, I have a great relationship with the World Poker Tour. I've known Steve Lushkin for years. I truly believe poker would not be where it was if it wasn't um, for the World Poker Tour. I mean, but it is today. Yep. And so it's an honor I hold very dearly to me. Um, they're going to be using me into international market as well as the U.S. market to help uh, promote their product, basically. How do you US, do that? You can, you know, How do you well, promote their the product? In the U.S., you can play at clubwpt.com, yes. and it's a membership uh, poker room. You know, you pay 20 bucks a month, and you get to you, you play in all sorts of different tournaments for all sorts of different prizes, and it's actually really cool. And then overseas, of course, you can play for actual real-life money. So I will be doing whatever it takes to help uh, promote both those uh, departments. Now, I'm not sure I understand how Club WPT works. Why would I pay $20 to go on a site when I can go on a site for free and play high-stakes tournaments or low-stakes action? Well, if you pay the $20 a month, you get to play. Um, every day you, you get a certain amount of points, and every day it resets, and you get to play in these tournaments, and you can win seats for World Poker Tour main events. You can win uh, prizes. You can win all sorts of different things. Oh, oh. Um, so it costs 20 bucks a universe. month, but the $20 a month is is not just spent on getting in. It also makes you immediately qualified to play for tournaments without additional money where there are cash prizes. Absolutely. You can win all sorts of prizes. I see. And how, because I know how difficult it is these days to fund online accounts, how does uh, Club WPT accept payment? Can I use a regular credit card? Can I? Uh, how do I pay for the twenty bucks? I'm almost certain that you can. It's completely legit. It's completely legal. Um, I'm not exactly sure if you can use a credit card or not, but um, if you log on to WorldPokerTour.com, uh, all the information is right there. Terrific. Um, I have a few questions about you and poker because I think that a number of our listeners you know, see you as a celebrity, and they would like to know a little bit more. And I had two basic questions. First of all, how is it that you got your start in the serious world of poker? I know you used to be a magician, and you went around, and poker players knew you as a magician. How did you get your start playing in the tournaments? And then second, how has becoming a poker millionaire, so to speak, changed your life? And is it for the better, or are there some negative things in it as well? Why don't we start with how you... Can I just go straight to number two? No, I'm sure. Go, that's fine. You're going to go straight to number two. (laughs) No, I, um, well, I think people knew me as a magician because I wasn't a very well-known poker player at that time. But, in fact, I was, you know, supporting myself playing poker. I just happened to do magic. And so that's kind of what stuck as far as uh, people remembered from me. When they met me, I used to do a magic trick for them. Every human I ran across, I did magic for. That was basically my life. Um, You know, and I was always playing poker and uh, trying to play well and step it up or whatever. And, you know, and then I started playing the World Poker Tour events. I did well in in the first season at a Lucky Chances event that they had. Oh, up near San Francisco? Is that where Lucky Chances is? Yeah, that's in Northern California, right? Okay. San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I took third in this tournament. I won forty-four thousand, but at the same time, I busted Phil Holmes, and ah. I really, I, I ran over him. I mean, he was just red and crying like a baby, and so that <laughs> got me a little bit of recognition in the poker world. Not uh, a significant amount, but you know, it was just season one. World Poker Tour had just come out, and then a few months later. Um, I won the World Poker Tour LA Classic, and I won 1.4 million. And I, I mean, I was just really at the right place at the right time because poker was in need of stars. And so, 
by sheer luck, it just kind of fell into my lap. That's and terrific. here we are today. That's terrific. Let me ask you a, a practical question. You know, we have a lot of people who are, they see you, they see other professionals, and they think, well, geez, you know, what's the difference between them and me? I mean, they're just doing it full time. I could do that too. Are there any things that you read or that you experienced that really helped refine your game and bring it to the level it's at now? Anything you can recommend to the aspiring pro to do or to think about so that he could get better and improve to the level where he might be competitive with a professional player? Right. I mean, my only advice is to to read as much as you can because there's some really good books out there. I mean, I I only read two books when I first started, and I haven't read another book since. But um, the most important thing is, is money management and discipline. Like, when you know your hand is no good, you have to be able to throw it away. If you can't fold two kings before the flop, well, then you're never going to be a successful poker player. Um, making, knowing the right decision is one thing, but actually making the right decision is another thing. I see. So if you have that kind of control over your game, you know, if you learn that and you have discipline and you manage your, your funds well, I think anybody can be a successful poker player. What were the two books? I read Winning Low Limit Hold'em by <laughs> Lee Jones. Yes. Uh, that was when I started playing 2-4 Limit Hold'em. And then I read Bill Brunson's Super Systems, the No Limit section, which was my favorite book. And I'll never forget when I saw Doyle and Bellagio 10 years ago before I was anything in poker, and I went up to him and I shook his hand and I said, it was such an honor to meet you, Doyle. And he was so nice to me. And it, it was when we were playing on high stakes, uh, half a million dollar buy-in when I just was like, hey, Doyle, you know, remember 10 years ago? Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's been a fun ride, I'll tell you that right now. That's terrific. Has um, has being a full-time professional poker player, or if not full-time, at least the large part of what you do, has it changed you at all? Are there things that you now do or think about that really you never did or thought about before? Well, yeah. I mean, ever since the whole poker craze, so many, so many different doors have opened up. I mean, people just want to hang out with people that are, you know, well-known or successful. That's just a natural trait of, of human behavior. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have, not to toot my own horn or anything, but I've Go ahead, toot your own some, horn. You know, no, no, it's not my style. But I've networked some, you know, very, uh, very powerful, very financially well-off friends. And, you know... So, you know, some of my friends have planes. We travel around the world. Like I just got back from Brazil. We went to Brazil <laughs> for a week with my buddies on my on my friend's jet. I mean, cool. that kind of thing you don't just get to do all the time. You know, that's cool. What did you do in Brazil? Yeah. Oh, I went to the library the whole time and read books. <laughs> <and hung out. laughs> but I really on that one. <laughs> that's very good. Well, that's what I would do if I went to Brazil. I would go to the right. library and read the whole Brazil's time. Brazil's a beautiful country. The women are absolutely stunning. Um, it was a little tough with the language barrier because uh, my Portuguese is not so good. But the, it's a beautiful culture. The people are great. The food was wonderful. Um, definitely a recommendation on my list. Did you play any poker while you were there? Uh, yeah, one night we stayed up all night. Um, playing uh, on the roof of our, not the roof, but on the high level of our hotel, just overlooking the ocean. We just drinking Jack and playing poker all night long. We went for Carnival, and it was just an absolute amazing experience. That's fantastic. Uh, two more questions, and then I'm going to let you go. The uh, Sure. One thing Take I... Your was... time. I got nowhere to go. I'm in <laughs> Miami at my friend's pool, just laying out, looking at the ocean. Well, I'm envious. I'm inside, in Quincy, looking at these guys that are running the show with me and some blinds that are closed just so we can compare notes <laughs> yeah i don't really want to switch spots with you my friend <laughs> tell me and tell our listeners about maybe the unanticipated downside of being a poker celebrity if there is one are there any things that you know frankly you don't really care for in the world of being you know a, a poker player? There, any poker player that tells you oh they hate the attention oh i hate the uh, autographs or whatever they wouldn't give it up for anything um, there's really no bad things. I mean, I, oh come on, we're all so envious. You got to give us something to balance it out. Like, okay, there is. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to do things that you want to maybe do because you, you you might think that someone is is watching. You know what I mean? Like when you're out and about, like oh, I got to be very careful because oh yes, you know, when you got that, cause, um, you know, but just you just have to be careful to see who's watching. Sometimes you know you never know what you're doing. I understand. And, um, other than that, just hearing bad beat stories from people that that you don't know, which I don't ever listen to. I'm very straight. 
food, but I don't listen to bad beat stories. Um, that's about it, really. That's... There's really no bad side. <laughs> well, then tell us, uh, just in closing, I hear you're doing the stuff at the World Poker Tour. I want to check out your TV show, I Bet You. What other projects do you have in the hopper down the road, if any? You know, the World Poker Tour is keeping me very busy, and so most of my most of my time and work is dedicated to the work that I do with them. I have to go to Europe a lot for them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have an event coming up in Barcelona, and we're trying to get to that market. We have uh, a poker game in China, not exactly Texas Hold'em, but it's semi-similar, so I might have to go over there. Well, wait, um, besides, wait a second. You, uh, you have a poker game in China, kind of like Texas Hold'em. The World Poker Tour has a, a, a game, uh, and I don't exactly know what it is, but it's uh, similar to poker, and it's a, it's a Chinese version. And wow. so we're trying to get into that market. Where in China? Do you know what city? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think Macau. Macau? I My. think I'm going to Macau in the next year. That's all I know <laughs> for the World Poker Tour. Well, they don't need to give you all the details, like exactly what you'll be playing or exactly where it is. You just know you're going to China, maybe Macau. That's exactly. fantastic. What else do I need to know? You know, I know right. they're going to get me there somehow, and I'm going to have a place to sleep, <laughs> and that's it. Well, that's great. And uh, we hope to have you back on the show. Uh, if you have any other stuff to announce, is there anything else that I didn't cover that you'd like to chat about? Uh, no. I do appreciate you being me on your show, allowing me the pleasure, and that's about it. Great, Antonio. The pleasure is ours, and it's been uh, a learning experience. I look forward to maybe running into you in one of these tournaments that you're doing. I travel a lot, and I, I certainly hear that you travel an extensive amount, and I wish you well. You are a credit to the poker industry. You are fun to watch, fun to talk to, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to your success in the future. So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Ashley. That was Antonio Esfandiari, who is the new face of the World Poker Tour Made Millionaire. We're going to take a commercial break, and then we'll be back with Michael Rome. Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-Card Stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-Card Stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing, you'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-Card Stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. Join us online at houseofcardsradio.com. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adameve.com and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. Adameve.com features over 18,000 adult entertainment products, Toys as low as $6.95, tantalizing lingerie, and over 350 movies starting at just $4.95. You'll find all the biggest stars like Jenna Jameson, Carmen Luvana, and even Tara Patrick. Imagine all those sensual ideas right at your fingertips. AdamEve.com's 10 million customers swear by our product quality, fast and discreet shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Check out AdamEve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type SPANK for the offer code upon checkout. Plus, with your order of $17 or more, we'll throw in a free gift. Get 50% off with offer code SPANK at AdamEve.com. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask me, they could be strategy questions, they could be practical questions about where and how to find a game, um, it could be a question of uh, you, you're coming to Boston and you want to play, we have a, uh, an internet site that you can go to, an address that you can go to, pose your question, 
And if we use it on the air, you will get a free copy of my book, Winning Low Limit, No Limit, Texas Hold'em. So the site or the address is info, that's I-N-F-O, at houseofcardsradio.com. Info at houseofcardsradio.com. Send me your question or questions. And again, if we use it on the air, you will have won a free book. And also, if you want, we'll use your name and uh, you'll have instant fame in the poker world. Chess. When one is outmatched, the game is over. Checkmate. Not chess, Mr. Spark. Poker. Do you know the game? A very interesting game, this poker. It does have advantages over chess. Love to teach it to you. You're listening to the House of Cards. Welcome back. This is Ashley Adams, and I am joined by a renaissance man of poker. He has run poker tours. He is a writer. He is a collaborator and uh, a poker player, a poker, poker tactician. We're here with Mike Rome. Mike, are you there? Yeah, good to be back, Ashley. Well, I'm glad to have you back on. And uh, I got an email from my producer, which included many things that you have written that I didn't even know about. Uh, I read them all. One was um, about a guy named David London. It was a science fiction treatment is what it looked like to me, a science fiction short story. Then there was something called Dogfighting Tactics for Tournament Poker. And then something called Farewell, My Lovely. All um, the two short stories, or I guess were in Bluff Magazine, which you write for. Um, what I'm interested in is multifold. First of all, how do you come up with these crazy ideas? Um, you have to be crazy. Um, I, <laughs> I, basically, this has been a great outlet for me because uh, all during my life, I guess, I'm one of those types that is over-utilizing their brain. So... I've just had a lot of ideas stuck in my head, and uh, I found an outlet that sparks my creativity. So you write um, on a monthly or bi-monthly basis for Bluff Magazine. Is it always science fiction-like short stories, or do you ever write other stuff? No, um, I've written for about two years now a column called The Amateur's Mind, which has been mostly instructional mostly educational about uh, tactics and strategies for beginner to amateur players. Um, but what happened was uh, I just kind of kept going with it, and I'd always kind of done a creative twist to it to try and find metaphors, uh, you know, history and pop culture and things to make the article a little more interesting so they'd stay with it. So you moved away from writing strictly about strategy and tactics and into fiction just so that our listeners understand what we're talking about. At uh, dinner tonight, I read the short story, Do Poker Bots Dream of Electric Sheep?, which was a tribute to Philip Dick, and I, it says by Michael Rome and Doug Boxerox Rogers. I have to ask you, it's about, oh, maybe 800 words. How do you collaborate on a short story, which I'm going to talk a little bit about, but how do you collaborate on a short story so short with another guy? Does he write one paragraph? Do you write one paragraph? How does that work? Yeah, I, I've done a lot of collaborations because I'm kind of an inclusive person. Uh, it's more fun to me if other people are involved. In the particular case you're talking about, about the poker science fiction piece, um, I Doug happened to read it. Uh, he's a poker friend of mine. He's also a science fiction buff. And he came up with a great ending to the story that was different than mine. Okay. And I just decided, you know, I'd give him credit for that. Well, just so our readers know what we're talking about, this story is set in somewhere in the future where there's an international poker federation or league, and uh, the, the league is in danger of being completely corrupted by these very human-like uh, poker bots that are really, bot is, is too archaic a term, a bot that really is a human being in ways, a, a, an artificial human being, more like an android, I guess. And the, the main character in the short story 
uh, his job is to ferret out uh, the bots from the, the real human players, because if you allowed bots to enter these uh, tournaments or these games, they would dominate and it wouldn't be fair and human beings would, they would undermine the credibility of the Federation itself. And I won't give away the ending, but the story is an interesting, uh, somewhat sexual encounter that the, uh, the main character has with somebody he's trying to size up for whether they are a bot or not. And it's a very interesting twist at the end and a very well-written story. I did have one question, and one of the great things about science fiction is that although the uh, creations of the science fiction author may not be real, they may be of the imagination or of some futuristic time, they're always internally consistent. And I was just wondering, you talk in the story about four-dimensional hold'em, but you don't ever explain what it is. What yeah, is four-dimensional hold'em? Some of these short stories is uh, you can leave it to the reader. I guess in my mind, <laughs> I was thinking that uh, of the idea now that a lot of the pros talk about how good so many more people are at Hold'em that by many centuries from now to make it more interesting it might have to be multi-flops and maybe even where there's a space-time dimension where the cards can change. Ah. But I didn't get into it uh, since these stories are so short and really what I'm doing with the stories is kind of a retro back to Pulp Fiction. Yes, yes. Short, interesting stories, and, and the poker bot story, what happened was I submitted it to Bluff, and they said, well, we like this, but we're kind of getting away from the idea of the amateur's mind of doing educational articles. I said, well, that's fine. I'll, you know, I'll go back to that. But they did agree, which I thought was great, to also occasionally run these fiction pieces because they liked them. That's great. I, I wish some of my publishers would let me take some liberties with my column and get into fiction like this. I especially liked, uh, you wrote a column where you, you were um, interspersing some famous quotes from Raymond Chandler. Very creative. I mean, the, the guy talking about how out of place he was, and you used the line, like a pearl onion on a banana split. Uh, which is one of those classic Raymond Chandler. And I wasn't sure because I, I didn't do any Google searching. Is that actually a quote from a Raymond Chandler piece, or did you just make it up to sound like something that he would put into one of his stories? No, it really was. And, and my idea there was to show an amateur at his first final table under the cameras, under the lights, and what goes on, but do it in the style of Raymond Chandler from uh, the 1940s. Well, you did a great job. A and... To also actually use quotes. So I did intersperse actual quotes with my story, and the italicized sections are actually quotes from Raymond Chandler. Okay, good, because uh, I wasn't certain. This is the, the story, Farewell, My Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, you did that with Zeke Flatten, who we're going to have on another show. Um, another collaborative effort. As you said, you're very uh, collaborative in your writing. I am not at all, by the way. I'm exactly the opposite. I don't even like people in the same room with me when I'm writing, and certainly I can't stand the idea of waiting for them to finish something or tinkering with something I've written. Um, I want to get to, in the ten minutes or so that we have left, you wrote a piece for The Amateur's Mind where you uh, quoted uh, Oswald Buckle or Boke. How do you pronounce his name? I, I think it's pronounced Bolka. Bolka, okay, um, Oswald Bolka, who wrote uh, tactics on um, air warfare for the German army uh, for World War I. And, in fact, uh, the famous Red Baron was a student of his. And you, um, much like people have done with Asian writers who wrote about the tactics of war, you have quoted from Oswald Bolka, different lines that apply to air tactics for fighting in air war, dogfighting, and then you've written an explanatory paragraph about how it applies to poker. What I want to do is read each of these things. It won't take too long. There are only about seven or eight of them. And then I'm going to agree and disagree, and we can talk for a brief moment or two about whether it really does apply to poker or not. And the first one, for example, is try to secure the upper hand before attacking and keep the sun behind you. Now, do you remember this? Yes, I've got it in front of me. I think that's right on the money. I mean, I think you really do want to try to establish yourself 95% uh, of the time 
recognize what your table image is, and then use it to confuse and distract your opponent. Um, so I agree with that one. And, and maybe even accumulate some chips playing small pot poker before you try a, a big uh, yes. battle. I like that. I think that's very good, that you might, for example, be playing a little more aggressively than you normally would when the pots are small, establishing yourself maybe as a little bit wild or maniacal, so that when you really do have the goods and you bet large, people will be lulled into thinking, oh, yeah, but he's always uh, raising uh, pre-flop. He probably doesn't have anything now, and that way you can take advantage of that when you really do have the cards. I think that's right on the money. The next one I'm not so sure about. Uh, you write, always continue with an attack you have begun. Do you want to explain how that applies to poker? Here's how I think this applies, and this is actually a principle I've been thinking of more recently as the game itself has progressed in the players. It seems to me that the players at a table begin to know pretty quickly who might start betting but is easily pushed off the turn or the river. Um, I'm a little bit guilty of this myself. And um, I think that later on it can hurt you. So what I suggest there is that even if it's not huge bets, don't show early in the game that you're going to back off or at least always back off or often back off. Uh, when somebody reconfronts you, and even if you don't have a strong hand early on, and it, you know it doesn't have to cost a lot of chips early on, you're establishing a type of table image uh, to show that uh, if they come at you later, it's going to cost. I understand. So what you're saying is that you don't want someone to think that you will just start a fight but then back away, because that encourages them to call your pre-flop raise even with nothing knowing that they can sometimes take away the pot from you if you then check uh, on the turn or even on the river, and then they bet large, they know you're the type of person to fold if you get return fire. That's correct. I guess what I, I disagree, though, in many respects, because you write, exhibiting weakness by backing off from an assault will only encourage opponents to strike back. I agree that it encourages opponents to strike back, but sometimes that's a very effective strategy to show that you can be bluffed out of a hand or to show after initial strength that you sometimes do back away because you can then seduce your opponents to be aggressive when you do that and you can trap them. For example, if I bet three hands in a row pre-flop and then on the third one somebody raises me and then I fold, showing that I can be backed away, I may be giving them some courage to try that again, even if they don't have a very strong hand, but I would then wait for a time when I really do have the goods to let them do that and to seduce them into playing more aggressively than their hand uh, really should be played. That makes sense, and really what I may be talking about, and we may be talking about, is extremes. That, and, and some of this may be from my own game, where I feel like, gee, I'm backing down too much, they're getting the idea Yes, that's right. You don't want to look timid because that encourages aggression from your opponents, and that usually is a bad thing. Uh, the next one I agree with 100%. I just think this is very, very applicable to poker. You write only fire at close range, and then only when the opponent is properly in your sights. And, and by that, I think as far as poker is concerned, which it's pick your fights. Don't waste bullets on thoughtless play. Yeah, I agree. I think that's very important. A lot of times you find guys who have found that by being aggressive, they can sometimes win hands when they don't have a good hand, and they almost thoughtlessly or sometimes thoughtlessly start firing raises when they aren't really thinking about what does their raise mean, what is the response they really want from somebody, and what is the opponent likely to do. They're just doing it thoughtlessly. You're, you're kind of falling into the loose aggressive. Uh, right, that's right. And it's, it's okay to be maniacal intentionally, as long as you're aware of your mania. But if you become thoughtlessly maniacal, you're just going to sabotage your play. I agree. Then you have another one I agree with, too, which is you should always keep your eye on your opponent and never be deceived by ruses. Uh, that's, I think, self-evident. Of course, you should always be paying attention to your opponent. Don't relax. Don't become overconfident just because you've been successful at first. The next one I also agree with. It says, in any type of attack... It is essential to assail your opponent from behind, and you, you apply this to poker by saying utilize positional advantage. So you want to 
recognize where your opponent is on the table as far as whether he's in front of you or behind you in the betting action and use your position, whether you're in front of or behind your opponent, to your advantage. I think that's very important and something that a lot of poker players don't learn until a long time into their education. They don't realize how important it is to understand where you are relative to your opponent. Very or good. they've unlearned it and need to relearn it. Exactly right. Or they've unlearned it and need to relearn it, which is the advantage of reading poker magazines and that even though a lot of the stuff that you and I write about has been written about many times before, it's, they're good reminders for people whose game may have gotten sloppy. So I agree. Look, Boca was writing it in the uh, 18th century. <laughs> in the, the 19th century, wasn't it? Excuse me, 19th century. The 1800s and then the 20th century. Uh, anyway, uh, the last one, maybe we could discuss a little bit. If your opponent dives on you, do not try to get around his attack, but fly to meet it. Why don't you tell us what your thoughts are on how that applies to poker? My thought there is, and, and, and this is a, another principle of dogfighting, is um, don't do anything half-heartedly. If you're going to stay in the hand, go ahead and fight. Be counter Counterattack. Um, if you're not, fold. But don't try and just hang around or be real tricky. Uh, make a decision and then uh, go for it. I think, actually, now that you've explained it, I tend to agree with that. I think that players often get themselves into trouble where they, they bet half-assed. They bet without full intention, and uh, it's very easy to pick somebody like that off. It's like if there's a big pot and somebody uh, bets a small amount into it on the turn, uh, that's an invitation for you to steal the pot, the, steal the pot by raising them. And a lot of players do that habitually. They always make that continuation bet on the flop, um, and they're not disguising their play. The one thing that I would say just as a cautionary tone is sometimes it does make sense to quit after you have started the fight. And I think when you explained it just now, you admitted that or you, you said that, that sometimes you want to fold. Sometimes players feel they are committed to the battle once they initiate it, and I think that is one of the biggest things that steals players' stacks, that they, you know, they raised pre-flop. With I think to win a tournament, you're going to have to make a couple of good laydowns, and you're going to have to make a couple of good calls. Yep. But as a general rule, neither of those things are probably what you want to do a majority of the time. I think that's true, and I think um, where I've seen people getting into trouble is, they're in early position. They do this a lot with ace-king and sometimes really bad players, ace-queen or ace-jack in a no-limit game. Uh, they will raise something I recommend people not do with big slick or uh, ace-queen. They raise from early position with that hand. The flop is something other than an ace and a king, or, or a king. It's, you know, it's a medium to low flop, queen, nine, six, two suited. And here they are in early position with two callers or one caller. They don't know what to do. So they figured, well, they started this fight. They didn't hit, but they still have to bet. They don't want to show weakness, so they'll bet their ace-king. They bet the size of the pot. They get another call from a guy sitting there with queen-jack. And uh, then the turn comes. It's also not helpful. Now the pot's fairly large, and they're thinking, oh, you know, I better not show weakness now or I'm going to be blown off this hand uh, I'll make a semi-large bet, hoping that the other guy will fold. The other guy calls, and then on the river they check, and the other guy checks, and they're sitting there looking like an idiot with ace-king out of position when they should have quit on the flop. I, th I think you're right on about that. I catch myself sometimes doing that, and I, it happens a lot. Do you suggest they just um, call rather than raise? Yes. If it's a, let's say it's a 5-10 no-limit game, it's a cash game. Uh, tournaments are different because it depends on how, what your chip stacks are and the like. But let's just say it's a cash game, a 5-10 blind cash game, and you've got 1,000 and the other guys all have around 1,000 bucks. I don't see raising an early position with ace-king unless you're in an incredibly tight table and you think you can steal the blinds or end up heads up against the large blind or something like that. I'm going to call from early position if I get raised I may very well call the raise uh, because I have such a good hand to begin with that has such a possibility of moving far ahead on the flop. Um, and, of course, you know a lot of this depends on the players you're up against. But for the most part, with unknown players or conventional players, I'm going to call with that ace-king. If I get raised, I'm going to call the raise, and I'm going to wait to see the flop before I 
decide whether I want to play it. If I hit an ace or a king, I do want to play it 90% of the time. If I don't hit it, most of the time I'm going to check and fold to any significant bet unless I think a guy is being particularly tricky. What, what about you? How do you generally play ace-king? Well, I'm more of a tournament player. So as you said, it can really vary because it depends a lot what's going on, what phase of the tournament shifts mm-hmm. back. So it's harder to come up with a rule, I think, for tournament, especially no-limit tournament. Let's say it's early in the tournament, Mike, mm-hmm. and you're in early position. Everybody's pretty evenly stacked. It's, there's no large disparity. It's within the first half hour. Uh, the blinds are a very small percentage of the stacks that you have against players that are you don't know much about them. You just got to the tournament. You haven't had a chance to size them up. Generally speaking, how do you play that ace-king? Early on, uh, ace-king and, and a lot of big hands, I wouldn't push them. I wouldn't raise simply because what you're getting back is not very big. And so I would just go ahead and see a flop and see if I can play uh, you know, the flop, the turn, and the river, depending on how it Mm -hmm. All right, well, then we're in pretty much agreement there, I guess. Yeah, later in the tournament's different, but yeah, I I agree. Well, let me ask you this. You're still writing for Bluff Magazine. You probably have some other irons in the fire. We have a couple more minutes. What else are you working on, and what other ideas for articles do you have down the road for Bluff Magazine? I'm working on one right now, ironically, called uh, The Fall of Rome. The Fall of Rome? Rome, yeah, which That's is about great. defending a large stack, which we don't get a lot of practice at. But it's a kind of a self-biographical uh, piece? No, more, more uh, metaphorical, the actual decline of the Roman Empire, where they stretched their borders too far, tried to do too much. Ah, very good, very good. And then, quickly, on the, on the fiction end, I'm working on one where amateur players going to Deadwood, South Carolina, playing a little amateur tournament in today's time and through a series of events, wakes up back uh, in the 1870s with uh, Wild Bill Hickok and ends up being Jack McCall, who shoots Wild Bill Hickok in the back of the head. I know that story very well. I, are you, have you ever thought about working on a screenplay or on a television drama? Funny you should say that. Uh, I actually just recently started to expand into screenwriting, and uh, Zeke Flatten, who you're going to talk to in another show, he and I are working on some scripts, and he also produces movies. So uh, I'm starting to expand into that. Terrific. Well, you and I should talk. Do you have an agent? Uh, no. Do you? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I don't. That's why I asked you. We'll have well, to we won't have it. our agents call our agents. <laughs> well, if you're ever in Boston, though, we can certainly do lunch. I'd love to, Ashley. Okay, Mike. Very nice chatting with you. We're going to uh, end the show with a commercial, and uh, we'll be back next week. And Larry. If you don't wear your seatbelt and your car rolls, my friend, that's when your headaches begin. When your fragile body flips end over end, that's when your headaches begin. Tell him, Vince. Now, baby, listen up. Seatbelts are something you can't live without. When that car rolls over, it spits you right out. Yes, it does. So please wear your seatbelts, because your skull doesn't bend. That's when your headaches begin. A message from the Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Hey, HouseOfCardsRadio.com listeners, we've got a special offer for you. Go to AdamAndEve.com, that's A-D-A-M-and-E-V-E.com, and get 50% off just about any of their items. 50% off, and the way to get the 50% off is by typing in the code POKER, P-O-K-E-R, in the box that's available for coupon codes at the checkout window. 
Plus, if you order $17 or more of their products, they will give you a free gift. We don't know what free gift, but they'll throw in some adult entertainment product of some kind. So get 50% off by typing in the code POKER, P-O-K-E-R, and also get your free gift for orders of $17 or more. You can also access this site by going to houseofcardsradio.com or going directly to adamandeve.com. Well, this is my senior companion, Vince Clausen, and he's been with me nine years. He's my brother. (laughs) Margaret's really something. Over the years, she's become like a sister to me. We even argue over who gets the sports page first, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. There's another world out there. He brings that world in to me. It's the little things that matter. Going for walks, picking up a prescription, taking the cat to the vet. Helping someone like Margaret still live on her own. If you're at least 60 years old, you might qualify to become a senior companion. You'll receive a small stipend, but most importantly, you'll have the satisfaction of helping someone stay independent. Call your local senior companion program or 1-800-424-8867 toll-free today and see how you can help. I never could pay him what he is worth to me. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. And you're looking for action, I hope. A little hold. Now you're talking. Welcome back to House of Cards Radio. This is Ashley Adams, and I'm joined by my producer, Dave, who's going to ask me some questions that uh, he has every every week. So what's up this week? Hey, Ashley, how you doing? Came in with some good news uh, this week. Uh, you actually were up in New Hampshire, and you actually won a poker tournament. <laughs> That's right. I uh, It was Easter Sunday, and being a good Jewish boy, I wasn't in church. I wasn't... Uh, having any kind of Easter supper. I was just uh, lounging around at home, and I wrote a couple of articles on the Internet that, uh, by the way, if you ever want a link, if any of the listeners want to see what I write, they can just go to houseofcardsradio.com and check out the links that you've put up. And I went off and drove to New Hampshire looking for a game. Was it tough to find one on Easter? or? Uh... It sure was. Yes, it was tough to, Funny to find. Funny I should mention that. Funny huh? you should mention that. I drove to uh, Seabrook where my friend uh, Tony Capone runs the poker room at the dog track. Uh, Unfortunately, the casino was closed, entirely closed. The dog track was closed. It was a sign. Actually, I went down to the the actual house that they have. They have like a building. And uh, a security guard came out, and he looked at me incredulously. And what are you doing here? And I said, I was, frankly, just looking for poker. He said, oh, no, it's Easter. We're closed. Uh, Family values and all that. And I said, I'm thinking that this guy is running a dog track, and he's preaching to me about family values. He actually used the word family values. Yes, yes, he did. Wow. (laughs) Um, And I'm thinking, oh, geez. Well, okay, I said, thank you. And he said, everything's closed today. So I, I left, and I drove uh, I used my GPS system. My wife got me a GPS system for the car TomTom, which is a great, great uh, asset to have when you're driving around. And I found some back roads to take me to Rockingham Park, which also has a pretty big poker room. And there I saw a big banner that said Rockingham Park uh, Poker. Uh, Sundays, Mondays, it had the hours. But it was draped across a chain-leak fence that was locked shut. So there was no, uh, there was no poker there. And I then uh, put into my GPS system Manchester because I had remembered that uh, the chain of poker rooms in New Hampshire called Sharkies had a room up there. And I put that in, and it got me to Sharkies. I got there. They had a 6 o'clock tournament. I was there at 4 o'clock. I wrote some articles while I waited. Had They have very inexpensive and very good food at a little concession stand in the place. And then played a, a 6-15 tournament. It was uh, $10 to enter with lots and lots of rebuys, and I decided to buy a large stack during the rebuy and add-on phase. And then uh, four hours later, I was uh, out-chipped by one guy who had three times as many chips as I did. It was just two of us, heads up. And the poker gods were smiling, dealt me pocket aces. He was getting a little bit loose and tired, it seemed, and... uh, I was big blind. He raised. I raised. He raised me back. I went all in. 
He called. I turned over pocket aces. They held up. I then doubled my stack, and he went down uh, by one-third. We had the same number of chips. I said, you want to chop this up? I mean, I'm happy to stay and play heads up, but it's 10 o'clock. He said, no, I'm getting tired. Let's just chop it. So I took a small prize. It was uh, 450 bucks, something like that. You know, I have to ask you, uh, for those of us who aren't from New Hampshire and for the people listening around the world and around the country, when you say you drove from one place in New Hampshire to another place, are these places spread out? Because when I think of New I'm from New Jersey. When I think of New Hampshire, I think of big rolling hills and meadows and no, no. Um, <laughs> Bambi and Thumper <laughs> running by. And... Well, there, there are those. There are, there are lots of mountains. The White Mountains are mm-hmm. up north. And, oh, it's, a, it's a beautiful state. Uh, but but um, when you say you drive, are these Yeah, I'll tell really you exactly far how far. Uh, Seabrook is on the coast in between Maine and Massachusetts. Manchester is inland, and I'd say that Seabrook from Rockingham Park is about a 35-minute drive. And then Rockingham Park, which is in Salem, New Hampshire, which is a border community with Massachusetts, is about 40 minutes south of Manchester. So they're all within a kind of circle of population, all within an hour of Massachusetts and 20 to 40 minutes from each other. If you then wanted to go up to the White Mountains, you're talking about a two-hour drive, but they're all fairly close together. I have to talk about... um Finding a tournament on a holiday, I mean, for a novice player or a beginning player, is that the best time to find, if, if you could find a game, sitting at a game on a holiday when maybe some of the best players aren't there? Do you no. think that's a good kind of a practice kind of no, thing? No, this or? was a good game for me because in New Hampshire, for the most part, you get local players. Okay. You're not going to have any professionals uh, who make their living playing $10 tournaments mm-hmm. in Manchester, New Hampshire. You have local guys that all know each other. They do it for fun. Some of them are better than others. Um, and similarly, if you were in Las Vegas or Atlantic City or Southern California or Foxwoods where they have serious poker rooms and serious mm-hmm. poker players, maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't think that the pros take the holiday on the holiday. If I'm a professional poker player, I'm in the poker room on the busiest days, which may be the holidays because people have the day off. Now, maybe there's an exception for Easter that I don't know about being a Jewish kid that uh, a real religious Catholic would never play poker on Easter. But from my experience, uh, you probably find the same quality of game regardless, and, you know, especially if, uh, if it's a little amateur room like this. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so that's uh, my poker adventure. I should just mention quickly I'm going to Reno this coming week, and when I come back I'll bring you uh, reports of the Reno Poker Rooms, which is really the last large uh, area where there's a lot of poker that I have not yet visited, so I'm eager to return. And it's been great uh, hosting House of Cards Radio this week. I look forward to talking to you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.